So this morning I'm going to tackle a, a topic that is near and dear to my heart. I am not a musician. I am not a singer. I know how to sing, but I do not sing. And uh, maybe one day I'll shock you and I'll sing. And uh, it would shock my wife too. And uh, so, um, but I sing in the car with my wife. And that's about it. And uh, but uh, you know, and, and so. Immediately, sometimes when we hear the term like worship, you can have the idea of like, well, that's not my thing. That's not what I do. I'm just not comfortable with that. I don't understand that. But the reality is, is that you are a worshiper. Like you're hardwired for it. It's not if you do it, it's what you do it to is the question. That is the big question. Because, again, you are hardwired for worship. We are worshipful beings. And it's just a matter of what's important and what do we put value. Really, the word worship actually means what do you give value to? What do you give weight to? What do you give your affections to? And so it's important that we understand when we start talking about worship that it's not just like, hey, it's a part of something we do at church. No, it's not something that I do. Worship is actually someone that I am. And it's very different when we begin to shift and, and, and to understand this part of really what the, what, the, what the purpose of worship is. Because we can worship lots of things. We can. We can worship money, success, stuff, whatever your thing may be. You may have a sports team that you border on worship. You say, well, how do I know if, I, if, it, if something's so important? Just look at your calendar. What gets first place in the calendar? You're like, oh, well, you know, like I'll just give you an example. Some of you don't have a clue another date for this year except for a football game you're going to attend in the fall. And you could tell me that right now like it was your birthday. Sounds like it's pretty important to you. Can't remember your anniversary, but I know when I'm going to the game. <laughs> or you got a vacation planned, or you got this planned, or you got that planned. And those things are important to you. See, there's all kinds of things that we can worship, and we do. But the Bible's very clear, and, and God says it this way. He says, look, I am a jealous God. I'm not going to let anything be before me. And that's a profound statement. Why? Because he wants a relationship with us. And worship is not something that we do. It is who we are. But it's also about where are we directing that worship to that matters. Like, I like to pick on this one because it's an easy one. But what's your football team done for you? Really? Because I think you pay to go to the game. I don't think they're paying you to come. I don't think they're celebrating you. I definitely know that they've not paid the price of your sins. And my sins. And, and so, but it's easy to kind of lose sight of some things. And, and so, let me say it another way. Or another, another question is, is, what are you orienting your life around? What's the focus of your life? 
Like, and I don't mean just like in the immediate. I mean like when you think about life and existence and what is the purpose and who are you living for? Because this all affects how we worship. And so another question, I'm going to give you a few questions as we're kind of kicking off, is that who has your worship? Like if I ask you that, like who has your worship? Your default answer may be any number of things. And some of you just by um, experience in church life and background would say, oh, I worship the Lord. Well, I worship Jesus. My question for you is, are you sure? Are you sure about that? Because we have to evaluate. I have to evaluate. And I have to look and say, what has become too important in my life? You know, I was just thinking this week. I don't know why I was driving thinking about this. And, you know, we live in the day of technology, right? So we have a DVR where you can, it's a digital video recorder. Some of you probably didn't even know what that stood for. How many of you know what a VCR is? Hello. A video cassette recorder. But I remember a day, and many of you do, that if you wanted to watch a certain show, you had to be home at a certain time. Thursday night, 7 o'clock. There was no, I'll catch it up later on Netflix. I'll pick, I'll, I'll just DVR it. I'll just catch it later. Like it's, no, like you were committed to it. My show is on. We even called it my show. How many, how many of you got a my show? Like, oh, that's my show. And, and we'll, we'll orient our life around moments and events and things and never really giving thought or, or, or this idea of like, where is our attention? Even deeper than attention is where is my affection? You're like, well, Because here's the thing, we can pursue a lot of really good things. We can pursue a lot of God things that will actually begin to inhibit and hinder our worship of God. I'll give you an example of this. This was a very good thing and a God thing in Scripture. Abraham, the patriarch, the Bible says, of our faith, believed God because God told him, I'm going to give you an heir. And that heir came, but... After, and there's, I'm going to leave a lot of the story out. Abraham tried to help God. We're still paying the price for that decision to this day. That didn't work. So God blesses Abram and Sarah with Isaac, a son, the heir, the one, the, the promise from God. They waited 25 years for this promise to come about. The Bible tells us that both Abraham and his wife both thought, we're too old now. That, that promise had an expiration date. See, some of us think that with God. Is it his promise to me? Well, that was for a different season. That was for a different time. That was for some other season of life. The promises of God do not expire. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is what the scriptures tell us. And we have to understand. But what happens is is that God actually asks Abraham. He says, you and the boy go to the mountain for a sacrifice. I won't go into it, but I'm going to give you the summary. 
God asked for Isaac. What God was really asking Abraham says, did the promise become your idol? Did what you prayed for, believed for, longed for, did it become more important than me? Because Abraham, if Isaac is more important than me, I need the boy. And there are a lot of good things that we can pursue. Some of them even being God things, but those good things can become like God in our mind. And we will begin to worship at the altar of whatever it may be. It can be success. It can be security. It can be, uh, it can be all kinds of things. And then we begin to what? Because here's the thing. At the end of the day, you will sacrifice for what you worship. If you worship money, you'll just work all the time. You'll pursue it. You'll be consumed by it. Nothing else matters. I've just got to make more. I've got to be more successful. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to. And it's not a I want to. It's an I got to. Why? Because now it's becoming a thing of worship. And yet when it comes, because, you know, and look, we can do. We make all kinds of sacrifices all the time. We just don't like talking about sacrifice when it comes to the church or a relationship with the Lord. But we'll do it in all kinds of other arenas of our life. We'll sacrifice for six months to take a trip. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that there's, I mean, go on vacation, enjoy yourself. But then when we talk about making a sacrifice for the Lord, you're like, oh, wait a second now. Because you're sacrificing for six months for a few days. And what I'm talking about is actually making a sacrifice that actually changes every day. There's a big difference. And so I want to give you an account of scripture here where Jesus actually specifically talks about worship. It comes in John chapter 4. I'm not going to read all of the, the setting and the background. I'll give you a little bit of the context of this conversation that has had. Jesus is at a well one day. A lady comes up. He says, hey, give me some water if you would. And she says, you know, um, you know, she gets him water, all this stuff. So they have a conversation, a dialogue ensues. And so he starts being Jesus, right? Why? Because he cares for people. And he didn't just see this lady, but he saw it as saw her for that that God wanted to show her love in this moment. And he calls out some sin in her life. And she real quick, just like us, we want to change the subject. You ever tried to change the subject with God? It's like he talks about something, you're like, ah, I don't want to go there. Like, let me just let me redirect, Lord. <laughs> like, can we not go there? Like, not today. You ever had you ever had that feeling with the Lord? Like, not today. Can we talk about this next week, next month, next year? How far can we push this conversation off? But the woman changes because, and ultimately Jesus asks her, he says, where's your husband? She says, I don't have one. And Jesus says, you're right, you've had five. And the one you're living with now, you're shacked up with. He ain't your husband either. And she was like, oh, you must be a prophet. <laughs> She's quick. She quick. <laughs> she was quick. And, uh, but then all of a sudden she wants to change the subject with Jesus. And she does change the subject because he, he says that. And then her response is, hey, I got a question about worship. I'm a Samaritan. We believe we worship over here. You're a Jew. Y'all worship over there. And Jesus responds to her question, which in my opinion, Jesus is like, okay, you want to change the subject? I'll just go a little deeper. 
That's okay. Yeah, we can change it. Let's just, let's just get a little, uh, a little more into your heart. And Jesus responds to her question about where should we worship? And he says, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. He says, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. And then he says, but the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And this is what I want you to catch. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in this way. God is looking for worshipers. You want to know how to find some favor with the Lord? Start worshiping. You want to create some space for God to work in your life and to move in your circumstances, in your situations? Start to worship. Why? Because the Bible says that God is looking for those who will worship him. Why? Because worship is selfless, number one. You ever help somebody that you're doing a favor for, but they act like you're doing them a favor? Or they're doing you a favor by allowing you to help them? And it's like, hold up. I'm here to help you. You are not helping me. You're the one with the problem. Versus somebody helping somebody who genuinely is is thankful. I want to help the person who's thankful. Well, here it says that God is looking for people who will worship him, but not just worship him. But he goes on, he says, for God is a spirit. And so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So if we're really going to, if we're going to connect with God and if God is looking for people to worship, how? What's the criteria? And he tells us, he says in spirit and in truth. So it's not from your head. It's not just memorizing words. It's not just in our emotion, not just in our soul, but it's where we open up our spirit, man, and which you're like, I don't know what you're even talking about. I hope to help you with that before we leave today. He says we must worship the Lord in spirit. Let me say it this way, with all of who I am. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all that you are. Bring it to the Lord. And we have no problem doing crazy things for things that are important to us in our day-to-day life. But it's like when we get to church, all of a sudden we look like, I heard somebody say, it's like, man, you look like you've been sucking on a pickle. (laughs) You know, some weeks, that's what the view from here looks like. It's like, man, did we get pickles out this morning? Like, number one, lighten up. It's okay to laugh. It is okay to laugh in church. I like to laugh in church, even if it's at myself sometimes. No, I, I mean, but we you have to relax. Like some of you are so uptight when you come to church. Maybe not physically, but mentally, emotionally. You're like, and you're nervous because you're like, what's going to happen? I don't want Jesus to pull a woman on the well moment with me. 
And so you come and you're uptight. But it's hard to worship freely when you're uptight. You got to relax a little bit. I told you this is going to be practical, by the way. You got to relax. Why? Because you have to understand that God loves you. That God wants you to experience his presence. Like to really encounter him. Like not just the Jesus on the page, but like the Jesus on the inside. Like a real heart connection. So Jesus says that the Father God is looking for those who would worship in spirit and in truth. What is truth? That means that there's openness, there's honesty, there's the good, the bad, the ugly. Lord, here I am. You already know I've got nothing to hide. See, we're to, we're to live an open life towards the Lord. And, and so let me ask you a question, though, and, and this has nothing to do with my subject, but this stood out to me this week as I was reading through this. And it's a question for you to consider. Is there something that you keep trying to change the subject on that Jesus is asking you about? Because just like this woman at the well, we want to change the subjects many times and like, well, what do you mean? You know that little, it, it, you could almost call it your conscience, but that thought, that thing is just like, I need to, well, it's not just your conscience, that's the Holy Spirit, that's the Spirit of God speaking to you, and he has nothing but good things in mind for you. See, the truth of it is, is that if we really knew how good God is, and what all he's done for us, worship's really easy. It's not hard for me to worship somebody who paid the price of my sin. Who was tormented for me. I mean, you know, I mean, you really think, you go and read the Bible. And you go and read a little bit of the history of how the Romans tortured people. And they were experts at it. I mean, they figured out how to inflict the absolute most amount of pain without death. Vicious. And the Bible says that he did that. For the joy that was set before him. What was that joy? It was you. Think, think, I want you to get a picture of this. When Jesus was hanging on that cross, your picture is the one that he saw. Isaiah tells us, Isaiah 53 actually says that when Jesus sees the reward of his sacrifice, he's going to say it was all worth it. In other words, he's going to look at you and say, you were worth it. Not just the mass of humanity, you individually. I did it for you. I did it for you. I did it for you. Like, it's very personal. And so when we understand these things, it really will begin to change the way we worship. So what, what is worship not? Let me, let me tell you what worship isn't. Now, there is, let me say it this way too. There is sacred worship, which is concerning God. There's also secular worship. I mean, I've listened and read to accounts of people that went to concerts. And they're like, man, it rivaled the greatest spiritual experience I've ever had. And they're talking about a concert. I mean, how many of you have ever seen a musician or a band that was celebrated like they're a god? And people fill up stadiums and they sing along with them and they cheer them and they champion them and all of those things, and they're devoted to them. They know every song and every lyric of every album and all the details. And 
all of these things. And, and we're constantly being bombarded for our worship. And so here's what worship isn't, though. And now when I'm talking about this, I'm talking about godly worship, sacred worship. Because this is how one of the ways that you can connect with God. There's only a certain number of ways that you can really connect with God. Now, it has varied forms, but worship is definitely one of them. So what, what worship isn't is that it's definitely not a time slot to be filled. It's not, hey, we got, you know, 20 minutes to sing praise to the Lord. I got 18 minutes and 25 seconds for worship this week. That's not, if that's what it is, then we're just kind of punching the clock, right? Well, that's not relationship. I mean, I can't squeeze in 18 minutes for my kids and hope to have a relationship with them in the next few years. Relationship doesn't work like that. It's not automated, if you will. It's not a prequel to the message being preached. It's not just what we do so that somebody can come up and talk about the Bible for a few minutes. It's not the appetizer. Sometimes we view worship as that. We say, well, you know, it's okay. If I miss some of praise and worship, it's okay. It's not that important. You're missing the whole point. It's a moment to what? To focus my attention, to remove the distractions of my week. It's to, to soften up my heart so that I can receive the word of God so that it can actually produce in my life. If you don't believe me, go read the, the parable of the talents. I'm sorry, not the talents, the parable of the seed. It's in three of the four gospels. He talks about the different soil. The seed was the same. The soil was different. The produce was not determined by the seed. It was actually determined by the soil that it was sown into. Well, our heart, and that's part of what worship does, is it softens our heart. So worship is not just singing a song or singing from our lips. It's really a song of our heart. Jesus said it this way in Mark 7, verse 6 and 7. He says, and he was talking about the Pharisees, so the religious elite of their day. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Or they worship me in vain, and their teachings are, are merely just human rules. See, worship will make you respond even emotionally. And, some, and look, and I, I, I'm probably too far this way at times. Well, I don't want to be overly emotional. I'm with you. Some emotion. Quit sucking on the pickle. Smile like you love Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like. And I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but I do want to. But. I mean, look, we are emotional. You know, God gave you your emotions. I can get excited about all kinds of goofy things, but I can't get excited about Jesus. I can't get excited about what God has done in my life. And, you know, it's like, well, I I just wouldn't want to be fanatical. I'm sure you got an area of your life that you're fanatical about. See, something happens, and, and I believe that the purest moment of worship is when our spirit actually gets in contact with God's spirit. It's a spirit-to-spirit connection that God wants to—and to, here's the thing. I, can, I could debate. 
I can preach. I can read the Word of God all day long. I can know all kinds of things and all kinds of big spiritual words, and they can all be undone in one moment in the presence of God. Because I have my opinions of God. Or I have my opinions of, of certain things. And then I get in the presence of God and everything shifts. Why? Because it's not theory. There's actual connection here. And something really happens. See, worship is more than a lyric or a combination of just musical chords. It's more than just, oh, I like that song. Mm, that song that, that's a good worship song. Sometimes we can have that. I'm going to help our worship team out for a minute. Can I meddle for a second here? Sometimes we can come to church and be like, man, worship was good today. Man, I don't know. The, the worship team must have got up earlier today and just prayed a little bit more. Man, the, man, the presence of God was in there. Man, it was awesome. And then the next week you're like, man, the worship team was off. They must have slept in today. They must not have got up and done what they needed to do. It's it's actually not their responsibility for you to experience God. That's your responsibility. Now, I'm thankful for their abilities. You don't want me to walk back here and say, hey, welcome to church. Would you stand and worship with me today? Because you know what? I ain't got a clue what I'm doing over here. And the last thing you're going to be focused on is Jesus. Because you're going to be focused on a lot of bad notes. On this and right here. And to Jesus, it sounds beautiful, but it ain't going to sound pretty to you. You're going to be like, uh, can we pull somebody else in, please? Can I find a musician, anybody, anybody? You can play a little bit. Yeah, come on. You know two chords? Get up here. You're better than him. It's not their responsibility. And many times what we perceive as a good worship moment and a bad worship moment is that we have forgotten who worships for because we thought it was about for us we think that they put in the time and all the effort for us no they're doing it as unto the lord and we get to join in with some people that are talented that help lead us into the presence of god and it's important that we do these things but it's more than just that i mean you can sing along to any song on the radio that doesn't make it worship I mean, you can raise your hands, you can jump around, you can do all kinds of stuff, singing the words in church. But if your heart is not connected, it's not worship. You're singing. God's not looking for singers, he's looking for worshipers. There's a big difference. So worship really is about the focus or the attention of our heart. And if we're not careful, we will actually make worship about us. I'll give you an example of this. I've shared this story before. Some of you haven't heard it, I'm sure. But a number of years ago, my son was about nine months old. And uh, he fell off of our kitchen countertop, smacked his head on the tile floor, right about here. And they told me that there was a good chance he had internal bleeding. And where we were uh, at there, the doctor told me, he, he looked at me straight in the face and says, you do not want your son at this hospital. He said, because if he has internal bleeding, there's not a person here qualified to stop it. And he said, and I wouldn't put him in a car. He said, he could die on the way there. He said, we're going to put him in a helicopter. And I watched them load my son in a helicopter as I drove out. I was driving like a maniac. Got my flashers on, praying, crying, 
frustrated, what's going on, scared, you name it. And I started to put, you know, I grabbed my phone and I started putting some worship music on. And every song that went by, I got more angry and more angry about it, more frustrated. Because I realized all the worship songs that I loved were about me. And I couldn't do anything to help my son in that moment. Finally, I just threw my phone down on the seat next to me. And I just began to sing songs about what I was declaring God to be over my son. And in that situation. And if we're not careful, we can actually make worship about us. We can even make the, the priority, man, I want to experience the presence of God. And that can become the goal, although it will happen. But that's the byproduct. The goal is to connect with God. And to really bring some worship to him. I mean, you know, I, I say this a number of, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago. We were at a worship night and the Lord just dropped something in my heart. You know, your worship is one of the only things that you can actually give to God that he doesn't have. It's one of the only things. Because you may be like me. You can't play a lick and you can't sing a lick. But God still wants your worship. Because you're the only one who can give it to him. So here's some, here's some things. And I'm going to give you some scriptures. This and that. It'll be on the screen. But I want to just share a couple things with you quickly. It's like, well, how do you worship? I'm going to give you, I don't know, there's four or five of them here that the Bible talks about of physical expressions of worship, like outward things. Now, the outwards don't matter, but they do have spiritual significance at times, too. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 says this, talks about the lifting up of hands. You may be in church, you're like, man, that's weird. Why do people lift their hands in church? Because the Bible talks about it. 2 Timothy 2.8 says, In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted to God, free of anger and of controversy. Why? Because I'm not just lifting up natural hands. These are redeemed hands. And they've been redeemed by my Savior who paid the price for me, who spilled his blood for me. And because of that, because I'll say it this way, because he lifted his arms for me, I can lift my arms for him. And I don't care if you do it like this, that, this, or touchdown, field goal, it's all good. I don't care what you do. But there is something, if nothing else, it's a physical symbol of God, I am surrendering to you. God, I am open to you. This is just an outward expression of what's happening in my heart. But that's why I lift my hands. Another verse, Psalms 47 verse 1 and 2 talks about the clapping of hands. Why do we clap? Because the Bible talks about it. Again, we do it in other arenas, don't think anything about it. But we come to church. and So it talks about, it says, come everyone, clap your hands, shout unto God with a joyful praise. You ever had somebody get too loud in church? You're like, man, what's wrong with them? I mean, look, I do a lot. Well, I have done a lot of electric work. And unfortunately, I've done enough that I don't make a noise anymore if I get shocked. But if you went and connected yourself with some electricity right now, you might get a little loud. You might even dance a little bit. 
You might jump up and down. You might raise your voice. Well, sometimes people have experiences like that with the Lord, and it's an expression. Another, these are really um, worship postures would be a good way to say this, actually. But here's another one, is that even a bowing down or a kneeling, there are times that I just, that I'll kneel in the presence of God. And you're like, why? Because I'm, it's a physical, outward representation of God. I'm your servant. You're not mine. I'm your servant. Psalms 95, verse 6 and 7 says this. says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people that he watches over the flock under his care. Now, most of y'all are probably good with all of these so far. Dancing. Like, oh, no, ain't do it. Dancing can't be in church. If you can do it for the devil, you can do it for the Lord. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to move on. (laughs) Go read about the psalmist. I mean, David's wife got on to him says, you're the king. You're looking like a fool. You're undignified. I like his response. Woman, you ain't seen nothing yet. (laughs) That's my version of it. Another one is to lay prostrate before the Lord. Like, what does that mean? Take, lay down. And I've done that at times. I've even done what I call a Holy Spirit nap. Where I pray, and I'm like, Lord, I need you to help me because I'm exhausted. And I don't mean like, now, I depend on your personality type. You may say, I need a good four hours. Not in the presence of God, you don't. Why? Because his presence brings strengthening to our life. See, what happens in is that in Psalms 22, 3 talks about this, is that, that God enthrones or God inhabits the praises of his people. It doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter what's going on. When I begin to lift up my voice to the Lord, he will respond. He will come near to me. And, and so I want to give you, a, here's a couple of things, and I'm going to get very practical here for a moment um, because I, I, I want to help us to really develop a heart of worship. Because worship sets the tone for everything in a church. It really does. And and so how do we worship? So I'm going to give you three things here. Three three instructions, if you will, of how how you can worship. Number one is you've got to open up your heart. You're like, well, I don't know how to do that. What does that mean? see if I can find it. I think I skipped over something here. Let me see. I don't know. It's further down. There's, I'll get to this in a minute. So I'm going to tell you in a moment. How, well, I'll just go ahead and tell you. How do I open up my heart? One of the attributes of worship is to, be, is to have abandonment. 
to be vulnerable. Let me say it another way. is to not care what the person next to you thinks. Because sometimes we care too much about the person next to us that we actually miss out on connecting with God. Again, we're, we're focused on self, but we've got to open up our heart and say, God, I don't care what everybody else thinks. I don't care what they, what they have to say. So we have to open up our heart. In other words, we've got to be open to allow the Lord to come in. Number two, we've got to focus our attention. I mean, we can be in here worshiping and yet our mind be thinking about everything else going on. What we got to do today, what's going tomorrow, what, what have I forgot about this week? And the devil's going to make sure of it. He might, oh, you forgot about this. No, you forgot about that. It's amazing how that works, isn't it? Like, man, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to read my Bible, and all of a sudden you forget the 15 things you ain't thought about in weeks. Do you think that's an accident? So you've got to focus your attention. The third one is you've got to open your mouth. You've got to lift up your voice. Like, well, I'm not a singer. The Bible said that holy people will sing praises to God. Well, you're holy because you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. See, the, 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 one of the purest forms of worship is when we forget about ourselves and our attention and our passions become directed to the Lord. It's not about me. It's about me connecting with him. So here's, a, a, and I'm wrapping up here with just a couple things, and we're going to actually go back into a corporate time of worship just for a moment before we leave today, because I want to give you an opportunity to put into practice what I'm sharing with you this morning. But here's the, here's the why behind worship. You say, well, why should we worship? Here's the effects. Number one, it draws you close to, to the Father. When we worship, when we really open up our heart and, and we make ourselves available to the Lord, it what? It really draws us closer to the heart of God. It pulls us close to him. Number two, it refreshes our soul. If you're tired, Matthew 11 says, come unto me and I will refresh you. You're tired, you're weary, you're worn out. Come to me. I've got grace for you. Come. Number three, it stirs up your faith. I like to say it this way. Is that sometimes I don't know how to put the language to what's in my heart, but a worship song helps me. Because I don't know the, I don't have the words to describe the way that I feel on the inside. But somebody else has felt that way and thought that way. And they wrote it out. And then it hits me a certain way. I pretty much have a song in my heart that is just heavy on my heart all the time. And man, I'll put that song on repeat. I had a new one this week. Man, it just did something in my, I mean, it did something in my spirit. Just over and over again. I went back to an oldie last night while I was reviewing my notes. It's an old song now, but it's called Heart of Worship. Some of you know it. I just, I had that song on repeat for probably an hour, maybe longer, I don't know. Just listening to it. Why? Because I want that to get into my heart. I, I, I want it to shift the way that I look and the way that I see things. Ultimately, worship is the conduit that we can encounter the presence of God. It really is. It's, it's one of the most powerful tools in my weaponry of, a, of, of being a Christian. 
when all else fails, my worship has never failed. And I've had to worship through some pretty hard moments. And I've had to worship through tears, and I've had to worship through prayers, and I've had to worship through anger, and I've had to worship through frustration. And I, I... But I've learned to worship in the midst of everything. See, and it's important to learn to worship on your good days. Now, you can do it on your bad days, but it's going to be a little harder. Now, I'm not saying you can't do it, but I would rather learn how to connect with God when things are good. And make that a habit. Figure out how do I connect with God? Where do I connect with God? When do I connect with Look, I don't connect with God at 6 a.m. I'm a midnight guy. Me and Jesus burn the night out midnight oil because that's he made me this way he ain't upset but you got to figure out what time what space what place what are these things that help you connect with the presence of God and I mean outside of just on Sunday mornings Sunday mornings there's a unique part of worship because it's corporate worship and I believe there's special things that are reserved for corporate worship that God reserves for corporate worship, for us coming together and lifting our voices together. I believe things can happen in the midst of corporate worship that probably, I'm not going to say they can't happen in private, but it's different. It, 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 it just is. It, it's different. In James chapter 4, verse 8, it says this. It's a promise. And it says, if you'll come near to God, he will come near to you. Other translations would say, draw near to God, and he will. He will. If you will look to him, he's going to come to you. The, Meth- or, sorry, the Passion Translation says this way. It says, move your heart closer and closer to God, and he will come even closer to you. See, one of the most interesting aspects to me as an individual, and I, w- and I'm a- I want to share this with you, is that when I really step over into a place of worship, because it really is stepping over a place, and it can be a hard, you know, I heard somebody use this illustration one time. They said, it's like stepping over a log, but once you learn how to step over the log, it's not hard. But sometimes it's, there's trips, <laughs> there's things that can be in the way. But it's a shift in your, really in your, in your, in your spirit. But when we step into a place of, of, of true worship, two things happen. Number one is that we're going to know God. And I mean like experience Him. Like in a very tangible way. I've had God come on me and I've cried. I've shook. Sometimes I've been very quiet. Sometimes I just sit down because it's like this heaviness. But it's not about what it looks like. That I need to connect with God more than anything else. But there's something very interesting that I think happens as well along with that, that. Yes, I get to experience God, but when I tap into worship, like real worship and a real moment with the Lord, is that I actually find that I, I step into a place where I know that I am fully known and fully accepted and fully loved and I'm understood. I think many of us deal with the thought that most people just don't understand me. But when I get over into the presence of God, there's a place of, of just like complete acceptance. So yes, I get to know God, but I also get that, that, that moment with Him 
that he says, hey, I know you and I see you and I love you. And that happens through worship. And, you know, Psalms 139 talks about this. You don't have to worry. God already knows you. Psalms 139, 13 through 16, he says, you know, you knew me and you developed me. You crafted me in my mother's womb. I mean, before my days, you had established all of them. I mean, all of these things that are said. God knows you intimately, personally. But again, only you can make the decision to worship. I can't do it for you. Nobody else can do that for you. But you've got to open up your heart because we can, we can become like the Pharisees if we're not careful. Remember that verse I read to you earlier? It says that you praise me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Is what happens is that we can reduce the Christian life to just a bunch of rules and regulations. And that's the law. And the Bible tells us that without the Spirit, the law brings death. But the Spirit will bring life. And so we have to have this tension between the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And it is a tension that we maintain because... And, but that's how we live a balanced spiritual life. And one of the best ways that I, that I have found for me and for many people is through worship. You got to kind of let everything else fade out of, the, out of your mind. So I want to invite you this morning to worship with us for a few more minutes before we leave. I ask the worship team to, to come back and, and we're going to step back into just a moment of worship. And, you know, you may-